Back to Daniel, chapter 6, and let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we um, are able to come before you tonight because you are a God of abundant and steadfast love. And as we come to take refuge in you, we pray you would spread your protection over us and feed us from your word, for we ask it in Jesus' strong name, amen. Well, um, I happen to think that C.S. Lewis was onto something. Um, After he wrote uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I had to mention uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe tonight, didn't I? The Lions. Um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He, he dedicated it to his, his goddaughter, Lucy. Um, she was about 14 at the time. And uh, Lewis knew she was probably getting a little bit too old to, to read um, children's books. And so he wrote these words. He said, someday... You will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. Uh, You can take this book up uh, from uh, some upper shelf. You can dust it, this book I've written. You can tell me what you think of it. Um, I shall probably be too deaf to hear, too old to understand a word you say. But I shall still be your affectionate godfather, C.S. Lewis. And um, his point was um, that we can think, can't we, that certain tales are just for children, that uh, once we really grow up, we can uh, leave these things behind. But the truth is, when we uh, really mature, uh, we can see that they still um, speak to us too. And Daniel chapter 6 is not a fairy tale. It's God's Word. Uh, but it's in every children's book, every children's Bible I've um, read. And this week, my prayer has been that whatever age we are, we, we might see it with new eyes tonight. Now, as we come to this chapter, we'll be like Lucy. We'll take a second look at it. And as we look at this chapter, I want to pick out four details. Four details. Firstly, as we begin, uh, notice the plans the plans. And notice as we look at these plans, notice the hostility that Daniel faced. The plans and the hostility Daniel faced. Well, we've got a new um, prime minister, haven't we? And um, the passage, it begins with a new king. Um, And he introduces a system of uh, governance that looks really wise. He sets over his kingdom 120 governors and over them three high officials. And it's delegation, isn't it? It's what wise leaders do, delegation to prevent the king suffering loss, verse 2. He's in, in charge of this great empire. And the best way is to, to really is to divide it up. Uh, to give others a little authority and make them accountable to him. Uh, The problem with that, of course, is that uh, when we uh, create a kind of leadership pyramid, 
Well, there will always be people near the top who want to be at the very top. And it's human nature, isn't it? And when Daniel starts to, to stand out, when uh, Daniel starts to become preeminent, well, these men start to plot, they start to scheme. And I read this week that uh, the Japanese have got a saying, and the saying is this, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. Um, it's what the, the Aussies call um, tall poppy syndrome, isn't it? And it happens to Daniel. It may have been because of his nationality. It may have been just jealousy. But when uh, the king is going to set him over the kingdom, these men, they start to scheme. And I imagine them starting a WhatsApp group called Destroy Daniel. They, they find a, a very unflattering picture of him online. And they make it the profile picture. And then they start to send each other messages late at night. We've got to bring him down, says someone. And they all react with a thumbs up. He's so pious, so perfect, says someone else. And they all use the vomit emoji. But wait, says someone else. That's how we'll get him. Let's go after Daniel, where he looks so strong, and yet actually he's at his most vulnerable. And human relationships can get like this, can't they? Human relationships can get toxic. People can turn against one another very easily. It happens in families. It happens in marriages, it happens in work, it happens in church. Jealousy, insecurity, pride, well, they can become, can't they, a very potent mix. And one of the things we've seen in this book, I think, is the weakness of human power, human leaders. Things are not always uh, the way they seem. Leaders are not always as powerful as they often uh, think they are. And we see this in verses 6 to nine, if I was to ask the question, who is in charge here? Well, it's not Darius, is it? It's the plotters. Look at all their influence. They come to him with, with mouths full of praise, verse 6. They, they appeal to his ego, verse 7. And they get him to change the law and put it in writing, verses 8 and 9. All along, he does their bidding. This is what can happen in the world we live in. And uh, Dale Ralph Davis, one of the commentators that uh, Andy and I both love, and he gives these verses the, the heading, the world hates you. The world hates you. And of course, he's quoting Jesus in the upper room in John chapter 15, verse 19. Listen to some of the sentences that come before that verse. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me First, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. Friends, I think it's a reminder looking at Daniel tonight that we can be the godliest, the gentlest, the kindest Christians around. We can be highly competent, 
and very skilled in our jobs. But if we are faithful to Jesus, we will find that at some point in our lives, at some point, we will face hostility, we will face hatred, and hatred that makes very little sense. See, Daniel was doing a very good job. Daniel's administrative skills, they were clearly, they were benefiting this empire. And yet still, these men come and they want to, to pull him down. Friends, this is the kind of thing that happens to God's people from time to time. And power corrupts. And while sometimes believers find themselves experiencing that corruption in their very own lives firsthand. I told you it wasn't just a children's story. So we see plans. Secondly, though, we see prayer. Prayer. I think Daniel's um, consistency is really striking um, in this chapter. He's in real danger, isn't he? But look at verse 10. Um, the ink from Darius's signature is still drying. And yet, what is Daniel's natural reflex? It's prayer. I think it was Luther who said, prayer is like breathing for the Christian. Um, Andy spoke much about prayer this morning. And Daniel was a man of prayer. His prayer is courageous. And yet, at the same time, I think it's just what he always did. He prays, verse 10, as he had done previously. And nothing had changed in one sense. Now, there's been a lot of prayer in the book of Daniel. We'll come to chapter 9 in a few weeks, which is a, a really beautiful example from Daniel's prayer life. But let me draw out some of the details here about Daniel's um, prayers. Notice what we could call Daniel's heart as he prays. And he's in a foreign empire. And yet, can you see where his windows are facing? Um, his windows are facing Jerusalem. And this is not superstition. Um, I think he's um, just longing for home. He's homesick. We all know that feeling, don't we? He's longing to be in the city that God chose to dwell in. He's in the city of man, but his heart belongs to the city of God. That's us tonight, isn't it? If we're Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. We live here, but we belong to another king. We belong to another city. Second, notice Daniel's posture as he prays. He gets down on his knees. Um, some Christians have found this um, a really helpful way to pray in private. Some church traditions have included it in their worship services. But what does kneeling symbolize? That's the most important point, isn't it? Whether we actually do it or not. What does kneeling symbolize? It shows humility. And to kneel before someone is to make ourselves smaller than them. It's acknowledging their authority, their power. And that's what we're doing when we come to God in prayer, isn't it? Third, notice the repetition. And like kneeling, we, we don't have to pray three times a day to be heard by God. Prayer doesn't work that way. 
And yet we could do a lot worse, couldn't we? See, we have uh, freedom to come to God at any time we want. But I just wonder sometimes if that freedom, can that freedom cause us to put off prayer? And deciding to pray at certain times of day, that can be a really good discipline. I don't think that's legalism. And praying in the car, praying on the dog walk, praying first thing in the morning, praying last thing at night, pausing to pray briefly in the middle of the day, these are good things for us to do as God's people. Daniel set aside time to pray. We're called to do the same as God's people. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus calls his disciples to be persistent in prayer. He calls them to pray and not give up. Daniel is an example of us, example to us here. And lastly, notice what we might call the flavor of Daniel's prayer. And here he is in this really challenging situation, yet do you see that the note of thanksgiving in verse 10, he got down on his knees three times a day, says the text, and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Now, it's a really interesting addition, isn't it? Especially um, given his circumstances. And I think it must say an awful lot about Daniel as a believer. But it's a challenge, isn't it? Are we like that? Are we thankful as we pray? Paul was thankful. If you know Paul's letters, you'll know that um, often they begin with thanksgiving for the church he's writing to, writing to the Philippians. He thanks God for their partnership in the gospel, writing to the church in Corinth, which was, well, let's just say it was very dysfunctional. Even writing to the church in Corinth in chapter one of his first letter, Paul makes time to give thanks to God for them. Daniel and Paul, they're good examples to us. Daniel was a thankful man. No doubt he prayed. As he prayed, he he thanked God for his faithfulness. He thanked God for his help so far. And he expressed his trust in God in this difficult new situation. He thanked God for the way he blessed his work. And it's a good reminder to us tonight that our prayers are to be shaped have the flavor of thanksgiving to them. So we've seen um, two things so far. We've seen the plans. We've seen the prayers. The third thing we see is the pit. I was going to say the den, but I thought I would have some alliteration tonight. The pit. The pit. Now, um, in a, a really skillfully told um, story, sometimes um, the writer or the director or filmmaker, they'll, they'll make the main um, character's story, they'll tell the main character's story through the eyes of somebody else. Uh, the protagonist, that's the fancy word, isn't it, for the main character, they'll be in the background or they'll be off stage. And uh, the words or the actions of someone else will tell us about him or her. And I think that's what's happening in verses 11 to 18. Um, As we look at these verses, uh, 11 to 18, as one of the commentators points out, all the attention, well, all the attention is not really on Daniel, is it? 
Um, the camera isn't really focused on the man who's about to go into this den. It's on the man who's going to put him there. Um, I use um, an online Bible um, when I'm preparing sermons like this. It's called the Step Bible. I'd really uh, recommend it to all of you. And it has one of these features where you can hover on different words with your mouse. And if you hover over the word king uh, in Daniel chapter 6, uh, you can see all the times it's used um, elsewhere in, in, the, in the passage. And the, the word king is mentioned 16 times in verses 11 to 18. The spotlight is on him, is on Darius. Daniel's in the shadows. The officials, they hear Daniel's prayer in verse 11. They come to the king. They remind him of his edict. And they wait, of course, before telling him that it's Daniel who is the one who's in trouble. It's sneaky, isn't it? They're in control. And they tell the king, this man pays no attention to you. And you see, though he's about to put Daniel down a pit, I think Darius is in a pit as well, isn't he? Darius has been trapped by his words. Darius has been trapped by his officials. And the thing he wants to do in verse 14, that is the thing he is unable to do. He, he labors to rescue Daniel. No doubt he pours over all the, the books of royal protocol. He checks his statement. He, he wrings his hands. But then the time comes for Daniel to be punished. No, O king. That it is a law of the Medes and Persians, they say, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Now, um, like the phrase, the writing on the wall, um, that phrase, the law of the Medes and Persians, has uh, it slipped into our everyday language. And people sometimes say of, I don't know, maybe a, a particularly lax or not very important rule, they'll say it's hardly the law of the Medes and Persians. But because this edict is in place, well, Daniel seems doomed, doesn't he? And he comes before the king in verse 16. And if you look at the text, I think what happens in verse 16 onwards is that the narrative goes into slow motion. See, so look at the details. Darius makes time for some parting words. May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And there's recognition of the helpless situation. There's a stone brought. It's laid on, on the mouth of the den. The king seals it with his own signet ring. All these details that just hammer home the fact that Daniel is about to be in a helpless situation. And then the camera, it stays on Darius, doesn't it? In verse 18, we see him going back to his palace. We see him um, spending the night fasting, ignoring any entertainment on offer, enduring a sleepless night. And if this was a film and we were watching it at home, well, we would be spilling our popcorn. We would be screaming at the screen, what is happening to Daniel? Is Daniel still alive? See, we actually, we never get to go into the pit, do we? We don't know what's happening in there. 
But instead, at daybreak, verse 19, we discover, well, what do we discover? We discover that the lions have a king. And as the stone is rolled away and he emerges from the tomb, well, it's not hard to see, is it? Parallels between Daniel and Jesus. Because this is a resurrection story. This is a picture of what happened to Jesus. Jesus faced the the kind of intimidation and plotting we see in this chapter, didn't he? And one commentator, Bob File, he writes this, like Daniel, Jesus was condemned. But unlike Daniel, no angel appeared to prevent his going to the cross. Friends, Jesus went down into death for you and me. But he rose again. He, he didn't dodge death. He didn't escape death. He defeated death. And Daniel in this chapter, Daniel is unmarked. But Jesus is not, is he? Jesus still has the scars from his great battle with death, his great fight for us. His hands are pierced. I've spoken a bit about um, films tonight. And uh, the director, famous director, Woody Allen, he said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I don't want to live on in my films, he said. I want to live on in my apartment. And it's so honest, isn't it? All of us know what it is like to fear death. Well, listen to this. Listen to one translation of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. Jesus came to free all those who are scared to death of death. Scared to death of death. Is that us tonight? Well, someone has gone ahead of us. There is a man who has gone through death. There is a man who knows the way out of death. Someone has said, death comes to us all, and all we can do is smile back. But the resurrection says no. The resurrection tells us we have a risen Savior, and that means that Daniel's experience will be our experience. Because of our sin, you and I, we deserve death, don't we? But because of Jesus, we can escape the fangs, the claws of death. You and I, all of us, will die unless the Lord Jesus Christ returns. But death will not hold onto us. Death is a defeated enemy. Death will not devour us. And we could just sit here tonight in silence and contemplate that, couldn't we? We could rest in that. There is nothing more astonishing than that. 
The resurrection of Jesus, this is the truth that turned the whole world upside down. And it's a great comfort, a great reassurance to us tonight. So we've seen the plan, we've seen prayer, we've seen the pit. Lastly, look at the proclamation. Look at the proclamation. Now, uh, many people have pointed out there's a kind of pattern in these early chapters in Daniel, these stories, and chapter 6 sees a kind of return to business as usual. The stories in Daniel, they've tended to end with um, a foreign king declaring the greatness of Daniel's God. It didn't happen in chapter 5, of course, when Belshazzar bit the dust. But in verses 25 to 27, we hear this kind of call to, to worship, call to praise again. Before we look at it, look at what happens in um, the verse before, verse 24. Um, This is not the kind of thing that gets included in the children's Bibles, is it? This kind of gets edited out. And there is a kind of irony in verse 24 that one scholar, Ian Proven, highlights. When we uh, read of the men who'd maliciously accused Daniel, it's um, worth knowing that The Aramaic uh, means devour it, literally ate the pieces of. And we can see that that's happening to them now, can't we? Men who try to eat up God's servant, they find themselves being devoured. But what about the women and children? And we don't like the fact, do we, that uh, they're dragged into this story. And maybe tonight you read this, uh, these verses and you think, well, this is, this is just another example of the brutality of the Old Testament. This is just another example of God allowing suffering. But you and I, we are not being asked to like this. No, the Bible is not a whitewashed account. This is how rulers like Darius behave. Men and women like him are accountable for their behavior. This is the kind of thing that happens in the world that you and I live in. This is a gritty story. This is ordinary life. And the Bible is like that. That is one of the reasons we can trust it. It rings true to our experience. Instead, I think what we're seeing here is that God is sovereign in a world marked by sin. That God is able to to vindicate and look after his people in a world of violence. And he is able to hold on to us and bless us and work through us even when we live in a very challenging, a very hostile society. He can do so because, as Darius himself says, he is the living God. He is a kingdom that will not be destroyed. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and earth. I was um, thinking about this little proclamation at the end of chapter 6. And uh, I was thinking about the fact that often, I'm sure all of us this week, probably we've read some kind of article, maybe um, on the news, or maybe someone has sent us something on WhatsApp or something like that, uh, reading an article. And you know what happens. You're reading an article online, and you come to a hyperlink. 
Does everyone know what that is? It's usually kind of blue, underlined. You can click on it, and you go way over here on the internet, and then you go way over there, and then way over there, and way over there, and way over there. It's distracting, isn't it? It can also help us, of course, check out on something. And uh, I think if we were to click on that little phrase, he delivers and rescues. If that was an article, we got to that phrase, he delivers and rescues. It was in blue and underlined. Well, we would jump to a whole host of other stories, wouldn't we? Because Christians tonight, they know, we know that Daniel's God is, well, he's the God who kept his people through the flood. Daniel's God is the God who delivers and rescues. He's the God who brought them through the Red Sea and into the promised land. Daniel's God, our God, is the God of Rahab, the God of Gideon, the God of Samson, the God of David, the God who would bring his people back from exile, the God who would one day send his son. He delivers and rescues. That's what God is like. These are our stories. This is the God that Daniel served continually. And tonight, it's our privilege, it's our calling to serve him with courage, to serve him the way that Daniel did. Well, let's have a moment to reflect, a moment of quiet, and then we'll pray together. He delivers and rescues.